This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College takes great pride in its diversity. For more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with three people deeply involved in the communication field about the status of American journalism and how it's weathering attacks as fake news. Allison Hunter is the editor-in-chief at WOUB News and a veteran award-winning journalist with both commercial and public broadcasting experience. She's worked in Boston, Chicago, and Los Angeles in addition to Dayton and Cincinnati. She hosts a news-related podcast called Hashtag 457SEO. Dr. Scott Titsworth has served as Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University since 2009. He also is a leading scholar with an international reputation in the area of classroom communication effectiveness. Scott is the host of a nationally distributed podcast called Teaching Matters. Mark Brewer is the general manager of WOUB Public Media and has had a 30-year career in public broadcasting in Ohio, Minnesota, and Texas. So I gathered this group together to talk about news in in various aspects. Uh, We're taping this on Tuesday, the, the 13th. We just had the president attacking the media over the weekend uh again um we've got uh all kinds of disruption in washington which always brings a focus on on the media but but let's start off more basic than the turmoil and and let's look at the term fake news fake news has really got its genesis back in the campaign but it's now become part of our vernacular Allison, you you've worked news both commercially and and for public broadcasting all your life. How would you define that term? Fake news is information based on non-factual information. So bias. I don't know that it has to be bias because bias can be if you ask this person a question and you choose not to ask this other person a okay. question. There's a, there's a level of bias there. But if you tell me that uh, the moon rose at 6 a.m. today in, um, in Athens, Ohio, and that did not happen, that is fake news. That's what I consider fake news. I know there are studies that say that um, some believe that if fake news can be any information that they don't want to read or don't want to believe, that's troubling to me. Because, no, that might not be pleasant news, but if there, it can be, you know, as a journalist, if it can be uh, uh, confirmed by two independent sources, um, that's not fake. That's 
those are the facts as they are. That's news. That's information. Now, whether it's news, that's in the eye of the beholder. You know, that information is information. Um, we, we make news in terms of telling that, by telling that information. That's when it becomes news to When some. you deliver that information. Correct. When we, when we deliver it and when we disseminate <clears throat> to use all of our, our information. And you can do that. You can deliver news and it be gossip. And what determines gossip from journalism? That gets into a whole thing. Um, but fake news, to me, is knowingly, knowingly, did I say that right? Knowingly telling untruths. Clearly, these events did not happen, but you are, or one is saying it did, that one is twisting the information. Well, in, in the era of daily deniability by politicians of, of both stripes, the, the first words out of their mouths are fake news. It's a great catch word, catchphrase. And, and, but to them, I think it means that, uh, as you said, it, it didn't happen. Or the media is – the news media is making something up. And uh, they have some kind of crystal ball or someplace that they go and come up with these fantasies. Right. The media, the big monster on the hill, the media, there's individuals. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But um, so that's troubling because and anytime you're talking through words, what 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 do you mean by this word news as in it's information that you want to know or news as in factual uh, detailing of events, and so, um, so yeah, someone saying that's fake news could just say that's information no one really cares about. You're trying to trumpet that as important because news is supposed to be important, and you're trying to trumpet that as important, and it's not. So that's one one view of fake news. For me, I focus on the fake part. In terms of factual, I'm looking at the facts. Did it happen? Did you say that at certain at such did, a such a time? Did you do that? Did you do that? Did you say that? You did. Okay, so me reminding you that you did and or said something is not fake news. That's a retelling of the facts. Now, you might want to call it fake news because you're saying it's not a big deal. So that's not anything that should be in the news. But, yeah, now well, uh, we're really splitting hairs. And uh, it's, no, it actually it might be uh, it, it's not news, so therefore it's fake. Uh, if, if it were news and therefore it would be important, that's something else. But this isn't news, uh, the, what you're reporting about me, so therefore it has to be fake. But the, the, the joining of the two is, is a strange combination. Scott, that uh, – you deal with this from an academic point of view. This is a new phenomenon. It really is. I, I think that, you know, in Allison's initial answer, she was answering it as a news director should, that when you're trying to understand what fake news means, you approach it from a practical standpoint. Did the reporter do their job of collecting the actual facts that were on the record, et cetera? Um, and, and you're answering it like that. I but, but you started to lean into an answer that I actually would – you know, put forward on the table that fake news is really not, in my opinion, an attack from 
um, certain politicians on the expertise of the media. Um, it's not it's not them trying to say did the reporting actually fulfill um, the the objectives of good reporting. I think it's much more of an, a code word for don't pay attention to that. And I, I don't know that I would say that it's entirely yeah. that. When you said that, I, I got a vision of Wizard of Oz. You know, oh, yeah. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Nothing there, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily just uh, certain political figures saying this is not news, it's not important. I think it actually goes much further than that. When we, when we study credibility um, from an academic standpoint, we typically break it down into three dimensions. Uh, going all the way back to Aristotle, it's, it's the expertise, trustworthiness, and goodwill of the, the person being or the thing being perceived as credible. And I think that this, this code word of fake news is really trying to attack the trustworthiness and goodwill of the media. And when a politician says that, they're in very rare circumstances, do they ever point to the actual reporting? They sort of leave that. That's not important to them. They're really trying to attract, attack whether the news media has goodwill and trustworthiness in the eyes of the public. And the thing is, is they don't really present any affirmative claims for that. They use the, the term fake news and leave it at that. And that's enough of a code word, as you said, a vernacular now that in the eyes of the public, I think that does start to erode the credibility of the media to such an extent that they start to say, okay, it is fake news um, because they, 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 they come to understand when a politician says that, that the news media doesn't have any stake in it for them, the average person, uh, and that the news media may not be um, trustworthy as a result of that. Without any argument to support those claims, yeah. it's become such a vernacular um, for certain segments of the population that, you know, from, from that standpoint, it's enough. I mean, I think it's a real affirmative attack without any substance to it on the credibility of the media. Mark, you've been in public broadcasting for 30 years or more, and, and it, this is a new phenomenon, but it seems every budget cycle, public media is zeroed out, threatened uh, uh, by the federal government. At, at the same time, public media always has relied on its members and its people and its local area to help support it. This whole idea of fake news, are you ever afraid that's going to have an impact on on membership? Not necessarily. Uh, so so public media is, is two worlds. And so one world is television, where outside of the PBS NewsHour, um, which is highly respected um, – there's really not a lot of news reporting going on. It, it's everything's within within the news hour. Um, and no that, wolf blitzer and e breaking exactly, news. E exactly or right. Like that. E exactly right. Uh, public radio is a little bit different, and uh, as most uh, NPR affiliates are are news and information throughout the day. Um, you know, I don't want to label uh, listeners as uh, NPR listeners as more educated or more snooty or, or more uh, but but I think they I think the audience knows um, what they're hearing and I think I think there's some level of trust in in what they're hearing as as Allison was talking about fake news uh, the, the term fake news is so 
it's so hard to define because everybody defines it differently. You know, from what we just discussed to the average Joe who may see something on Facebook who says, well, I don't agree with that, so it's fake news. Uh, I mean, it, it has become such a common catchphrase. You know, even, even in, the, in the state of Ohio recently, uh, you know, a major newspaper published uh, a, a report, a uh, jobs report, I believe it was, from information provided by the state of Ohio. The state of Ohio uh, uh, didn't care for it and called it fake news, numbers <laughs> that they had provided. And then they provided fresh numbers, which actually made it look worse. So, so I, think, I think that, as the, uh, Scott was saying, that's just a phrase to say, don't pay any attention to what's, to what's happening here. Well, I think this gets muddled. Let, let me try to break this down. Uh, what we've been talking really is about politicians and other corporate types saying this didn't happen or this isn't important and thereby calling it fake news. But not too long ago, we had an indictment by special counsel Robert Mueller saying that we had – just say looking at the election process in 2016, we had Russian interference coming into this country creating events that were fake news. And pretty soon we're going to have indictments, I'm sure, where we've had bots uh, issued by people outside the country creating news events that weren't true that were fake news. So I think fake news applies to all of that, but it's really hard to differentiate those things because to me they're different. Absolutely. And so then that's where, you know, especially as a journalist, always start with a question. If someone calls that fake news, well, what's fake about it? I, I do the pushback. And I've been places where someone finds out that I'm a journalist and they say, oh, you are all are liars. Really? What did I lie about? What story have you read? What story came from my newsroom? What story have I produced that you found to be untrue? Then they start to walk it back. Well, I didn't, I didn't. Well, okay, well, let's engage. Let's have that conversation. And I think some of this idea of that quick, and the, well, the quick animosity toward the media and toward each other comes from that lack or that, that lack of engagement, that lack of saying, okay, well, why would you say that? What happened? What happened to where you don't believe the information that I'm giving you, the information that the, the government provided? So are you saying that the, the, that the media is too isolated and therefore doesn't engage and therefore perpetuates this idea of fake news? I found through my career, and I was a producer, um, so I was in-house, um, but I, a uh, producer and newsroom manager, and, and but I, what concerned me with working in local newsrooms and um, commercial media in particular, I spent the bulk of my career um, on that side of the, of the news and journalism fence. Um, I was always concerned with the idea, and we say that, we're, we disseminate information. Well, dissemination is not a two-way street by definition it's just putting information out there so it's how do monologue you, right here here it is here it you is. know and here it is to you and so um 
and many newsrooms operate that way. Many they have to. It's just it, in some ways it's the nature of the business. And if as reporters or as uh, as if reporters are only talking to certain people or only government officials or only on this side of town or people who with whom they're most comfortable speaking, yeah, then at some point you're isolating, you're creating a picture that um, is not the big picture. It's not the full, and maybe it, it, maybe it is your audience. You know, I mean, especially in commercial media, one, you're trying to grab as many people, but at the same time, you're talking to your people. Yeah. You're trying to uh, build your base. Now, I've never been in a situation where I was told to um, only talk to this pe- to these people or craft a story this way. I've, you know, that whole idea of the media is doing this to the like again. Who's this big giant? The media, like, <laughs> yeah. and, when, and when did they have their meetings? Because I was never invited. You know, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't know. You know, and I'm a pretty strong-willed person, so I, I, you know, I, I know I would say something if I felt it was wrong and against the the basic tenets of, at the very least, of why I'm in the room. And I'm in the room to get factual information out to people so they can make their own decisions. You know, yes, you can lead a horse horse to water. You can't make them drink. You can't make them not bathe in it. You can't make them, you know, relieve themselves in the water, whatever. But you can provide it. And so, um, so, so yes, and we saw that. We saw... um, most notably in this in this last presidential election, that whole idea of, oh, well, wait a minute, where did they come from and whoever they were, <laughs> you know? Um, but and that's important to to talk to as many people and to have as many people at the table. And so when we start talking about diversity and of race and of uh, gender and of uh, background and of class. Well, then that isolation is not, um, it's not as easy to be isolated when you're talking to as many people and getting, um, finding out what is motivate them, motivating them. And again, the engagement part. Scott, you were nodding your head through all of that. Yeah, so I, I, I think there are, to me, there are three trends that, that sort of creates um, the potential for this isolation that then cr- that, that then also creates a context in which this this um, hollow fake news argument can become persuasive. So so the first one is that the rise of digital um, news media outlets has sort of flattened the hierarchy of what we come to define as the news media. So the perception of the public, I think, is that whereas 20 years ago when all of us were you know growing up. You know, there were certain news outlets that were held as sacrosanct, and CBS you knew, News. Yeah, <laughs> you, you knew that you knew that the yeah. major broadcast networks and some of the uh, big dailies um, in in metropolitan areas, and, and maybe even a regional daily that was huge in your state, those were sources that were um, very important. And if they said something, if they reported the news, um, that was something that meant something um, in, in in the news cycles. But but in in the rise to digital, um, I really think that that hierarchy of trust 
has been flattened to such an extent that that no longer has much meaning. Um, and that's because if I'm a digital producer, I can create a very credible looking news outlet that will create an audience that will be very um, um, committed to my news outlet. And, and yeah. I, I, may, I may not have that expertise of a New York Times or a CBS News. The second trend that I think that happened is that there has been a, um, there has been a consolidation of power in the media where there are a few national outlets that controls a lot. And we see that, of course, with the networks um, and with cable. But if you stop and think about the daily newspapers, the local radio stations, the local television stations, they're also controlled by what, by and large, are large corporations. Yeah. Um, you know, one of our alumni is a president of a, of a corporation that owns um, a massive share of the local television market. And, and, that, and that, that has happened. And I think as a result of that, the third trend that's happened is that the type of reporting that goes on locally has either dried up and it doesn't happen anymore. Um, and that's really important. Like when I was growing up in a small town in Kansas, the publisher of the local daily was probably one of the most important people in town, you know, whether it was about right. politics or social fabric or whatever, that person was really important. And that, that person probably doesn't exist now, you know. And, and I think that what has happened in local news where it does exist is that for them to compete for um, market share within their local community. In other words, trying to pull people away from the internet and onto either their own website or even a print that they put out. Um, they have to report, I think, in a certain way that that really captures that attention. So, you know, one of the trends anecdotally that I see is that the type of reporting is a lot more gotcha reporting than it is about what's happening in a community. Now, I think that public broadcasting is an exception to that. I think that we by and large, try to do a, a balanced job of telling the things that went wrong, but also lifting up um, as much as possible when we see good things happening. But that negative reporting at the local level is also something that wedges um, the field um, away from um, the consumers in a way that doesn't create that trust. So I think those trends all kind of come together and creates this context in which um, you can make a claim or a politician can make a claim about fake news and there's not a person sitting in their living room in Parsons, Kansas going, no, wait a minute, I know a reporter that works for <laughs> yeah. my local paper that's a really good person, and they do a great job, you know. They try hard. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and they try to do a fair job. And, and so I think that, you know, that, that sort of local check and balance has eroded, um, and I think that creates a, a, a climate where we're, we're being drawn to these more national sources where the bots can take control. You know, the AI can come in and, and shape the news cycle in a way that we would have never envisioned before. And not to get too far down the road, but that is, a, a at least in my mind, a and history, history will show that is a direct result of uh, being profit-driven. Mm -hmm. And so it takes money and time to investigate and and cover issues and not just events and right. not just press release and not right. just crime. So those things are easy and you can jump right out. But to go back through and dig out and, and, and find um, this event happened, but what were the drivers of this event and, and how many people does it affect and how does it affect them? Um, that takes time and you can't just turn that out, that idea of public affairs uh, journalism, which 
for me is different than news, right? Yeah. News yeah. is the commodity yeah. Yeah. of journalism. And so um, and so all those things Scott just said, absolutely. So when when news or news centers, news and information centers, which many newsrooms had to change their names to call themselves um, news and information, um, when that when that became the the trend and the and they became profit drivers or at least not more than not just mindful but actually needing to be a a, a profit center things change mm-hmm. a lot of things change and people lose jobs and stories don't get told and the simplest stories get told and they get repeated and then sometimes they're repeated poorly and then fake news jumps in mm-hmm. and and people go, eh. And the watchdog uh, impact uh, goes away because it gets lost in, in in the shuffle. And what we used to call pack journalism, where everybody goes after the same story, or at, in today's market where everybody quotes each other. <laughs> the Washington Post said this. The New York Times said this. They don't have NBC the time, News right? said this. Or the resources. Right, the resources. So, I, uh, real quick, I, I, I so was thinking that same thing as you were talking, Allison, and that's with, with the rise of all of the uh, uh, cable news organizations. They're all there to make money, mm-hmm. and news is expensive. And so it's much cheaper to put three or four people on a couch and just talk all day uh, about why they think certain things happen. And we, and we end up with these pundit shows that are labeled as news that really are not. There's very little news actually coming out of a lot of exactly. these well, organizations. You look, you look exactly. at, on that point, you look at a CBS, ABC, NBC, mm-hmm. PBS of 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And now you look at where the anchor, if that's what you want to – or the host, host. Uh, puts out a, a premise – based on what somebody else may have reported, and then you have six pundits with their talking points uh, yelling at each other. <laughs> or experts on things that haven't happened yet. That, to me, that, <laughs> exactly. Like, how'd that work? How's that work? <laughs> that, it, that's, that's not news. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. From the highly technical information and telecommunication systems to the theoretical communication studies and everything in between, Programs in the college offer students both the fundamentals of communication practice and the tenacity and skills to further advance the field. In addition, the college is home to four centers and institutes that enable students to gain hands-on experience and learn new skills. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. I want to jab on you a bit, Mark. It, it, well, thanks. It, it, since you're the representative of all public broadcasting. <laughs> all right. Over the last year or so, I have noticed NPR trying to consciously, I believe, 
get more conservative voices into their news. Uh, they balance things more. The last couple of weeks, they've had people from NRA. They had people from CPAC uh, coming in and, and talking with them like they were long-lost friends. Uh, they they um, are starting a, a new conservative podcast. Uh, is this pandering? Is this saying, okay, um, gee, maybe we went too far one direction and we have to come back for a sense of fairness? Or is this saying, you know, we're getting threatened by this whole fake news thing and and our funding might be in jeopardy if we don't do this. Do you see this? No. So so I definitely I don't see All right. I don't see is, Here we go. <laughs> I don't see anything as pandering uh, uh, first off. And and back to your point you made uh, earlier, you know, uh, funding's been threatened for you know the past 26 years uh, yeah. uh, under under yes. all kinds of parties. Um, and it's usually joint parties that come back and, and put it in. I think I think to Allison's point, there is a little bit of wait, where, who are these people? And and a a realization of are we are we not talking to everybody? Are we missing something? I think I think it's not. Um, it's definitely a fair statement to say we're hearing more conservative voices. In my opinion. The conservative voices are in charge, and so you want to talk to the people who are the decision makers. Um, you know, when it was uh, the other way around, uh, NPR was being bashed for being more one way as opposed to the other. Um, I think it's more it's more interesting, it's more intriguing this time because we we are listening to a lot of we are hearing a lot of conservative voices, and within that party. There are factions all amongst themselves, and so we, we're hearing from different factions. It's hard uh, to get one conservative voice from the Republican Party. Exactly right. We're, we're not having a conservative statement. We're, we're having varied statements. Um, you know, I think it's fair to to have conversations with the NRA because that's in the news right now. Uh, the CPAC stuff was in the news. Um, so, as opposed to the pundits of us sitting back and and getting people on on the fringe saying why do you think they're doing this you know NPR is still one of the organizations that will go right right to them and say what where are you headed uh, what let our listeners know what your plans are with this so um, so I think there are more conservative voices but I don't think it's a pandering effort I think it's just the nature of where we're at in in policy right now and, and smart because you have to have all voices at the table because again how do we move this thing forward if if journalism if the if the idea of journalism is to help create a uh, a more complete and healthy democracy then every voice has to be at the table or has to be at least heard and and whether you agree with them or not and so that becomes hard, especially in these times where emotions run high and that's considered a part of news. Mm-hmm. And um, again, not necessarily journalism, but it's out there yeah. as news, news. My, doing oh. my air quotes. And so um, when, when, when we talk with people, when NPR and public media talks with people from 
that side of the aisle or from that faction that um, people don't usually either hear from or don't want to hear from, that's important. That's That helps people make their own decisions. We'd love if, I mean, I guess we'd love if everyone thought the same way um, as we all, as, you know, whatever. Now, who, now who's going to be the one that <laughs> decides that? Because <laughs> I know I don't like to be told what to do. You know, <laughs> I like to make up my own mind. I like factual information so I can make up my own mind. And so, um, and and ideally, I'm doing that. I'm maybe informed by my emotions, but I'm not operating from that place. Yeah. And so um, when NPR, as they should, talk with some that are more on the conservative side, and everyone should, and, 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 um, and everyone be in every network, and, um, because that's how you learn. That's how you figure out. That's how you figure out who you really are and what you really believe by hearing things that challenge that and being open enough to say, "Oh, I didn't know that." Okay, well, that news was information. That was news was good, good information, and now right. I can go on and make better decisions for my family, for my finances, for my health, and why people listen to the news so they can live their lives better. As I hear you say that, one of the things that I think has to happen when um, our news directors and others are making decisions about which of those um, alternate voices or, you know, which of those voices do they put on the air? Um, I, you know, what you see, unfortunately, is a, 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 rep, a congressperson that comes on and, and says it's the other side of the aisle, so to speak, that is, and it becomes sort of a tit for tat about which side is right. What you don't have nearly enough of is those voices actually talking about policy issues. And you know, I, I totally agree with you, Allison. That's the type of reporting and 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 news, you know, and information dissemination that that we need to have, um, where people can sit in their living rooms with their families and make decisions based upon uh, competing voices that they've heard in the public sphere. We just don't get the right type of messages with those voices. It's not often. sexy. Yeah, it's not. It's not yeah. fun. It's yeah. not theater. It's it's hard to make policy pop. Right. Yeah. And so um, but all this other stuff is theater and that, yeah, that grabs your attention. Or, or noise. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and again, the emotion part of it. But the idea of being able to actually sit down and say, OK, let me walk you through the economic plan. Oh, my gosh. How do you do that? You know, Mm -hmm. um, when and again, news is supposed to be informative and um, interesting and um, yipes and important. (laughs) I used to teach my students that to get them away from the noise is to always look at what's important to mom and pop at home. You know, whether it's their taxes or their jobs or their kids' education or their safety and security, bring it back to the home and hearth and you're pretty solid. Right. Follow mm-hmm. the money. You know, those yeah. things that um, – I want to ch- switch gears just for a few minutes that we have left and, and talk about um, – I've never seen this in my lifetime – attacks on media – with the vehemence that that we we've had it, it, it's just been about a year ago that president trump uh, called the the news media the enemy of the american people and uh, just rec- He's dramatic isn't he yeah <laughs> just recently there was a congresswoman from uh, upstate new york claudia tenney 
who said that the news media is the biggest destructive force in the country. Hmm. Uh, and then just this past weekend, we have the president uh, in his style attacking Chuck Todd from NBC, the host of Meet the Press, and, and uh, calling him sleepy Chuck Todd and uh, that sleepy son of a bitch. Uh, and what does all this do uh, to the landscape? that you all work in every day? You just keep going. (laughs) Well, you just do. You keep going. You keep doing strong work. But it's got to make it harder. Sure. Yeah, it does. But at the same time, I mean, journalism has always been attacked. I mean, from Penny Press when journalism was partisan, when anybody who had an idea and had the money could go and put their information out and send it out to people. And then often anonymously or under pseudonyms. (laughs) Right. And then, you know, you move on into where we've, you know, wars have been started by words on a newspaper page, you know. And so um, you still do the good work. You st- it's important work and it's big work and so people can say what they want but again if I know I'm coming to it with integrity and then and especially now in in my job with my with my staff and the students that are under our our, our watchful eye um, you stay strong in following the facts and people say truth and I'll say okay okay, we can use that word uh, truth um, because people have to determine their own truth but if you present the facts as they are you'll be fine (laughs) but the this landscape is so poisoned and 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 you've got an audience that is so probably more jaundiced than ever uh, against receiving news unless it's in their particular silo and and uh this just seems more dangerous than than sure, it ever sure. has been yeah i i think that uh clearly um the the news media so first i'm going to say if we have people like allison leading newsrooms then we're at least doing our job right so we're right. we're covering things in a way that we, we know that there's integrity behind it. And, and that's something that, you know, from my standpoint as a, of a dean of a communication college, we have to continue training students to act in that way, to be professional in the way that they report the news. So I guess what I'm saying is we can't give up on, you know, what it is that our job as journalists uh, is. And, right. and, and we have to approach that with integrity. Um, I think one of the problems uh, that that is apparent to me is that we're training our kids to be like we are right now, and unfortunately, the generation that is. Well, what do you mean? So, so the generation right now that is sort of in charge, if you will, um, we are very partisan, and I think that we have created these divisions amongst ourselves as we've grown up using um, digital technologies, et cetera. And so, a recent Gallup poll that was done in collaboration with the Knight Foundation that was just released yesterday actually showed that when you ask Democratic 
college students, so people that identify as being Democrat, they uh, at 64% say that they have trust in the media. And when you ask the same question to Republican college students, that number is the exact same 64% that say they have little trust or no trust in the media. And what I am afraid of is that we as parents, we as teachers, we're going to pass this down to the next generation um, in ways that will not allow um, people to see past this fake argument about fake news. Um, Now, the thing that I have some solace in is that as I've uh, in my podcast talked with teachers, um, students, um, administrators about what really gets the uh, current generation of young students, high school age, et cetera, excited, it's things in their community that they can be a part of. So we saw, for example, um, a few days ago, and, and is continuing now, thousands and thousands of students walking out of school to uh, engage in protest against their perceived threats um, as they're in school. You know, so they, they were active um, in several national uh, reported protests about um, challenging the NRA. They were active in saying that there need to be fewer guns available to students um, that could bring them to school in various ways. And so, you know, I see this, the, the current generation as sort of mirroring the, the current generation of students is mirroring the adults, unfortunately. But I also see them potentially as having a much more um, active voice in their local um, politics. So if, if, we, if we go back to the old adage that all politics are local, I think all news is local. And I think that... Local, local, local. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> and, and so I think that one of the biggest things that if I were, you know, if I were in charge of the media, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be a great job? Right. Air quotes. Right. <laughs> yeah. If I were in charge of the media, I would say that we have to do a much better job of going back to our readers and our viewers with messages that we are doing this to help them, to benefit them, and doing so in a way that is nonpartisan and that we're doing so in a way that has integrity. I don't think we as the uh, as the media – do a very good job of, of getting that message out there. And I think that's really critical because that's really where we're being attacked. We're not being attacked on our expertise. We're being attacked on our trustworthiness and, and the goodwill that we have towards the people. And we don't advance how we uh, accomplish that very well. We don't talk about We don't about tell that people how we make the sausage and how many right. ethical people conversations. People don't want to know that. How and many ethical And why we make the sausage. Yeah. Right. I mean, we just don't talk about but that. But that idea, to your point, of transparency is important. Um, stating when, stating the process. And there's some uh, uh, news organizations that have gone through that, but uh, that take that tact, which is uh, admirable and important and time-consuming. and um, But there also, I think, is important in teaching media literacy mm-hmm. and, and helping people understand that uh, how to find if uh, I, I spend most of my time on social media, even with my friends, and I say, you're killing me. Like, they're passing along some meme or some, inf- some story, and I'm like, this is not true. All you have to do is go Google, look at how this word is used and how this picture is not. And it makes me crazy. But that idea of media literacy, understanding that just because it looks a certain way or the words are arranged a certain way does not mean it is factual. And so how do you go back and test the information or find those common sources? Because you can do that now. We have this wonderful thing with the internet where you can go back, even as a lay person, as an individual who does not work in the media. And check. And check and 
But I think teaching that information um, and impressing that upon news viewers and listeners um, is just as important, or if not probably most important, in this day and age. In this, in this poisoned environment uh, and poisoned landscape, Mark, PBS 15 years straight is the most trusted one of our most trusted institutions and at the top of the line of of trusted media the average age of a PBS watchers about 63 years old if i remember correctly those people are going to die off you know, is is this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's people coming up behind them, right? <laughs> but I, to build on Scott's point, I don't know that those people have the same consumption patterns uh, than than the current audience. I mean, is this something that can go on? And, and why is it the most trusted? So I think I think no one commercial, of the, no no commercial. <laughs> we don't do commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the benefits of of especially the news hour is the opportunity to have a discussion. Um, it's, not a, uh, it's not a half hour or an hour of throwing as much out there as, as can possibly be thrown out and then you figure out what it all means. Uh, they're gonna introduce some topics, they're gonna talk about the events of the day, they're gonna have folks from both sides of the aisle talk about wh- why it was presented that way why it came from from that side, what it what the other side sees it as, and and it's and it's actually and it's one of the few places where you can get beyond current politics, as it were. When you watch uh, the other night, I was watching. They're doing great pieces on Rodinga, and you just don't you don't see that any anywhere. And and so I, I think the the fact that it keeps you informed of what's going on, not just. Uh, in the Beltway, but but you know, on the planet is, is a helpful thing. And I, I think I think as we get older, we look for that. Uh, we look for that conversation. And so, you know, the news hour has been doing that for years and years and years. And, and Washington and, Wake, uh, and, is... and people have gotten older and aged out, and and the next group comes in and 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 finds this uh, rational conversation. Um, and, and I th- I think people people adhere to that. So. So yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised that PBS was at the top. I, I was mentioning earlier last fall. Oh, there was a there was a survey done about top brands um, in the country, and they rated the top 50 brands. And NPR was number 10. Hmm. Which which at first blush you think, wow, 10. Hmm. But but it was the only media brand in the top 10. Um, later down the list comes Reuters and, and BBC, but I, I think that's I think that's another uh, they're in that they're in that same mold of let's talk about what's happening today and then let's talk about how it does affect you in your neighborhood and you know your finances and your health and and your education and let's let's make it let's make it pertinent to you and so. Uh, the NPR numbers have been growing uh, like crazy because most folks aren't doing that anymore as we talked way back at the beginning. Uh, I was talking to Phil Ewing, who's the national security editor at NPR and uh, one of the uh, your alums, Scott. Uh, it, it, I said, why is NPR always the slowest on breaking news? 
because it takes yeah. its time. We always get AP. We always get Washington Post. We get New York Times. I mean, credible news sources, not just schlock news sources. And then bringing up the rear is always NPR. And he said, and I haven't checked him out, he said NPR is more accurate. It's slower, but it's more accurate, and it's had fewer corrections hmm. than anybody because they don't play the race. Right. But mm-hmm. my question is now, the race for information to be first, not necessarily best or most thorough, but to be first, is commanding everyone, including the major news sources in the country, the major networks, the major cable networks, the major newspapers. There's always been a need to be first, but now with digital media and social media, it seems that it's amped up and even even higher. Does that bother you? When I worked in whatever city I worked in and there were other, we had competition. Chicago, other networks, LA, Boston, right, <laughs> right. any of those. It was any of those. And someone else had a story or someone had a first, you you feel a way about that. You feel like, oh, they beat us. And okay, uh, what can we do? And why did we get beat on that? And what's going on? And, and that competition kicks in, but it can't drive you too far because you do want to be accurate. And maybe it's not a matter of accuracy just because they were first. Then it kicked in for me I was in Chicago and we were talking about it and some of the anchors were like, we didn't get this story first and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, do you think our viewers know that? It just kind of <laughs> kicked in for me. Do you think our viewers know that they, whatever station, had it first? Pause. Okay. So let's make sure we give our viewers, if this is an important story that our viewers need to see or hear or have, then let's make sure we do it better or at least bring it home for our team. So that whole idea, so that that was a nice turning point yeah. for me, that whole idea of like, hold on, first for whom? And who remembers And who's going to remember that? You know, and that's a great marketing tool, I guess. But if you are actually doing more thorough stories, that's a better marketing tool. If you have fewer corrections, that's a better marketing tool. And so that, um, so let's step off of our ego for a second and see, because we're, no, here's the other thing, is, and I, which I, someone passed this on to me, a news director passed this on to me, and I make sure I pass it on. And that, no one watches the news the way we do. We're news people. <laughs> we have three TVs in our home. There are so few people who do that. And we sit in front of the screen and watch, or we're right in front of the radio and listen. Other people have things going on. They're here. They're over there. They're, they're living life with this on in the background. And so remembering that as we tell our stories and present our facts is is key also. So that need to be first, yes, that's, again, that's marketing, that's money. I don't want to get on my whole thing on capitalism on that. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, but for the commercial world, that works that's a that's a part of it. That's a part of the um, part of the commercial package. Um, but um, for public media, I appreciate that we can take the time to um, to move with all due haste, but at the same time with integrity and the ability to um, 
bring in some perspective. Because if you're throwing it out there first, you don't have a perspective. You're just throwing information at people and maybe doing more harm than if you took a moment to say, okay, let's put this in perspective for right now. This event happened. So let me get past the gotcha and shock you with the event. But let's put this event in perspective to the extent that we can. The event is important, but also the, again, tying it to the issue or some of the issues that led up to that event, that's even more important. All right. I want to go round the horn here and and, uh, ask one last question, and that is what advice would you give to a listener out there to for them to traverse this media landscape that we have today uh, and to be satisfied that they're not getting fake news, that they're getting credible information. Scott, we'll start with you. So it's a great question. I mean, the easy answer is to listen to more and watch more. Um, but uh, let, me, let me give a, a, a bit more of an off-the-wall answer. Um, take notes. And I actually mean sitting down, you know, maybe at the end of a day or something like that and taking notes on the things that you thought you learned from the media and, and start building a, a little database for yourself about the facts that actually support what you think you learned. Um, be inquisitive about those. As, as Allison said, uh, if you think you learned a fact, figure out where that fact came from. And, you know, I think that, you know, if, if I were teaching my daughter about media literacy, I would say— And she's a high schooler. And she's a high schooler. And I would say you're going to hear a lot of stuff, but it's your job. It's not their job. It's your job to actually interrogate that information, to understand it through your lens. Um, But then the responsibility of that is you making sure that you truly do understand where that information came from. And again, back to credibility, the credibility of those sources. And um, I think if we were more active listeners rather than passive listeners to the media, uh, we would all have a very different perspective, not only on the media, but also on the events in the world around us. Mark, you're next. I think so many people get their information now off social media, off Facebook, and off Twitter. I, th- I think I think uh, folks need to look, as Scott was saying, at, at this at the sources that they're using. I mean, uh, on both sides, you know, if your if your favorite website is the left is number one dot com, or conservatives rule number one, uh, you need you need to reach out a little bit. Uh, you, you need to you, you need to read way more than headlines. Uh, and react to headlines, and you, you, you need to, yeah, you need to put an effort into knowing where you're getting your news, and uh, and getting past the headline. I heard yesterday uh, a, a story related to Facebook news, and it's like something something on Facebook can circle the globe twi- twice while the truth is still home tying his shoes. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it takes it does take a while to to figure it out and to to be inquisitive. And if your if your news is first thing in the morning on your Facebook feed, and that's it, you're not uh, you're not doing yourself any favors. Well, Allison, I made you start out the the discussion, so I'm going to give you the last word. Media literacy. I will go back to that. When you are reading a story, find that same story, or if you've watched it on on TV or listen to it on the radio, find the the written version of that story. Look for direct quotes from people 
that's important. Yeah. Find this speech. If you if your politician said something and you're only because that's very interesting when you watch one channel and they'll pull a certain part of a speech and then another channel will that same speech will pull a certain part and they won't talk about the other things that <laughs> were said in that speech. Well, you can go to places like C-SPAN that usually have all speeches or you can look for the written text of it and Look for the whole, not just the part, so you can get the full story, so you can make the good decision about what's important for you, your family, and your community, Um, because that's the only way this thing works. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate the the discussion. I I really do. I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thank you. Super. Thank you. Today, we've been talking with journalist Allison Hunter, communications scholar Dr. Scott Titsworth, and public broadcasting executive Mark Brewer about the public perception of news and the dangers of labeling media stories as fake news. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.